Are you one of our regular students for Self-Improvement Wednesday? Each week you get to learn something new. Your lesson this week, the loudest sound in history. Your teacher is Tom Wright, Artistic Associate at Belvoir Theatre. Good afternoon, Tom. Good afternoon, Richard. Yeah, this is such an intriguing title, The Loudest Sound in History. What, what do you reckon it was? Well, a few days ago, it was actually the anniversary of one of the most catastrophic volcanic eruptions in recorded history. And when I say the name, everyone will recognise it, Krakatoa. It was a volcano in the Sunda Straits there between Sumatra and Java in Indonesia. And in 1883, well, we heard the loudest sound human beings have heard. Mm, now, we'll come back to the, just the extraordinary distance uh, from which that was heard. But let's talk about Krakatoa. People actually lived on it, right? Yeah, this, back in the days, this is back in the 19th century, it was actually quite a sizeable, very lush, beautiful, tropical island of the Indies. It was um, quite long. It was about the length of from Circular Quay to the airport in Sydney terms and a couple of kilometres wide. It had waterfalls. It had lovely fresh water. In fact, um, Captain Cook called in there and said that the people in the villages were very friendly and that there was plentiful fresh water. And, of course, the other thing that um, ships in the 19th century recorded was that it had the most spectacular and beautiful coral reefs or around it. Lovely, um, pristine waters with some of the most extraordinary array of species. So it was a bit of a natural wonderland, this island, uh, Krakatoa, there in, in the middle of the sea. Now, despite the fact that there's people living on it, the, the volcano was always active, wasn't it? Yeah, it had been active all the way through history. In fact, for as long as um, it had been erupting on and off for as long as there's been humans. So it wasn't as if the idea that this was a volcanic island was unknown. It was a pretty regular occurrence for it to erupt. In fact, um, in May of 1883, it began one of its regular eruptions. There was no sign of anything particularly out of the ordinary. It just made a spectacular light show, the usual sort of um, array of sparks and plumes and a bit of lava flow. And in fact, villagers on the coast of Java came out at night to watch the fireworks because it was um, so beautiful. So there was no need for any panic. There were a few earthquakes through the region and then some steam and smoke began to come out of the three craters on the island. But again, this wasn't particularly unusual. People just got on with their lives. But then it started to gain in intensity and by August of 1883 there was a, a plume of black ash 27 kilometres high in the sky and by now, of course, there was no one on the island. They'd all evacuated. They knew there was something up. There were thousands on a nearby island called Sabisi. So, and there was already a few thousand locals there as well. Um, so things were starting to heat up. But no one had any idea of what was really coming. Um, some ships nearby said that chunks of pumice about the size of their fists started landing on their decks. And then there were a few moderate tsunamis recorded on the coast of Java. So I guess you could say people did have a sense that something, well, maybe we should say the mountain was restless. But I can't emphasise enough, nobody could anticipate what was about to happen. OK, what was about to happen happened on August 27. The entire mountain explodes. The explosion was phenomenal. It was so, the boom was so loud, it was heard in Perth, which is over 3,100 kilometres away. So just the imagination of just the stretches, doesn't, it taxes you, doesn't it? Just to imagine what a sound must be like if it can be heard over 3,000 kilometres of sea and land. But even more so, on the Indian Ocean island of Rodriguez, out near Mauritius, people thought that naval ships were practising their guns. That's, about, that's nearly 5,000 kilometres away from Krakatoa. That's how loud this sound was. It's generally considered to be the largest and loudest sound ever in human history. 
Even 200 kilometres away, it was registering about 170 decibels, which is like standing right next to a jet airliner down at Mascot when it's taking off. And that's 200 kilometres away, so you can only imagine how loud it was if you were closer than 200 kilometres. An extraordinarily loud sound as this um, mountain island evaporated itself into the atmosphere. Okay, that's the sound it makes. What sort of left there after this event? Well, exactly. The devastation was instantaneous and it was pulverising. The the force of the explosion was calculated as being about four times the, the size of the most powerful nuclear weapon ever unleashed. So you can only imagine there was um, massive clouds of superheated ash wiping out life just everywhere. There were 40-metre-high tsunamis which began drowning the coast of Sumatra and Java. Entire ecosystems were destroyed. Chunks of rock the size of the Opera House were lifted out of the sea and dumped on land. Uh, the population of Sabisi I referred to earlier and its refugees, alas, perhaps three to 4,000 people just vanished. In fact, the death toll was calculated being around 50,000, but it could easily have been considerably larger. The figures weren't good in those days. Um, entire, suffice to say, entire cultures were destroyed. Islands which had been thriving populations just became rocks. Um, and when everything settled down, the island, the mountain, it had just disappeared. Mm. There was just sea, a few small remnants in the, in the south covered in ash, and Krakatoa had blown itself to smithereens. You, you talk about how the sound was heard for so many thousands of, of kilometres. Presumably there's, there's pressure waves and tsunamis and all of that sort of stuff. Well, exactly, Richard. The pressure wave um, was recorded. It was recorded on practically every barometer in the world. In fact, the pressure wave from the eruption went round. It circled the globe three times before it began to dissipate. Um, sailors on ships um, 120 kilometres away had their eardrums ruptured from the pressure wave. This wasn't from the sound. The pressure wave was the thing that got to them. And the tsunamis were felt in distant places too. Even South Africa, Yemen, you know, thousands of kilometres away had tsunamis. That's the force that it, it unleashed on the ocean. And here in Australia, the Kimberley Coast and um, up there, up around, places around Derby and around Wyndham recorded sizeable tsunamis as well. It had a major effect. And it wasn't just in the seas that it had an effect. It was the world's weather as well. Um, it, I'm sure everybody's heard about this. Our atmosphere and our weather suffered for years from this eruption. There was so much sulphur dioxide pumped into the atmosphere, it didn't just provide two or three years of absolutely spectacular sunsets, even more spectacular than the one that's happening outside at the moment, but it also cooled the atmosphere. And all these sort of weird anomalous weather events started erupting. California had the most rain it ever had. Other parts of the world suddenly had dust storms. It just unbalanced the world for a couple of years. Yeah, if you look at the inundation of Pompeii, it, it was then seen in, in history and art and the historians talked about it. Was this, did, did this have an influence on, 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 on the world of, of art and culture and writing? Yeah, ex exactly right, Richard. It was, it was because it was like a, um, a, a one of the world's first major media events. Even though it happened in a remote part of the world, it was in every newspaper and every report, and the stories of devastation um, reached all around the world. And so people began noticing it not just because it was a news event, but because, as I said before, it was in the sky. There are experts who believe that Edvard Munch's famous painting, The Cry, or The Scream, you know, the famous one of the, the, the man holding his face and screaming, 
living in sort of existential terror. If you look in the background, there's actually this extraordinary colourful orange sky and um, some experts believe that that's Monk's recording of actually what the sky was like in that decade as all of the fine particles that were in the atmosphere circled the earth and um, created these extraordinary um, patterns. Mm. So it was recorded in paintings and um, it it ended the language too for decades afterwards. Krakatoa became a term that was used. You know, if you saw someone who was boiling with pent up fury and about to have a meltdown, you called them a Krakatoa, meaning this is someone who's about to blow. You better get out of their way. Well, what's what's there now, Tom? Well, there's still the archipelago, and you can still go to Krakatau, as it is in Indonesian. It's a national park now. The once denuded islands have all grown up again. They're lush with jungle. and But these days, the islands in the area have no permanent population. They wouldn't let anyone live there. There are some rebuilt villages on Sebesi, about 20 kilometres away. But apart from day trips, no one's allowed near this um, archipelago. As I said, Krakatoa blew itself to smithereens. But within a couple of decades, what do you know? The volcanic eruption started popping its head up above the sea, and it's now quite a sizable um, cone and mountain again. It's called Anak Krakatau in Indonesian. Uh, uh, Krakatau is little kid, that means. The Anak Krakatau is still um, rising. It's rebuilding itself. And may, if it keeps erupting at the rate it's erupting at the moment, it may well get back to being its old size one day. Well, we hope there is not another self-improvement Wednesday in, uh, in another you know, 20, uh, 20 centuries. Hey, uh, Tom, thank you very much. Thanks for talking to me. Thank you, Richard. There's Tom Wright. Tom is Artistic Associate at Belvoir. Of course, his lesson, The Louder Sound in History, as usual, is on our website if you want to listen to it again or share it with a friend, abc.net.au slash sydney. There you'll also find details of how to subscribe to the free Self-Improvement Wednesday podcast. Next week, Vertical Transport and City Life with Kurt Iverson, Associate Professor of Urban Geography at the University of Sydney. That's Self-Improvement Wednesday next time.